Hey everyone, before we get to today's episode, I wanted to share what I think is a pretty exciting announcement. We are opening up our rival AMP community. So some of you listening have been part of AMP from the beginning of the company. It has been our small, very small friends and family community around Rival where we post updates, ask for feedback, kind of share what's going on in the business. But actually we think there's a lot more potential as we've grown, as our community has grown, as we've met more of you to actually build and scale a proper community within Rival Amp. So what Rival Amp is going to be is it's going to be a community for challenger marketers on WhatsApp. We're going to share ideas and observations from the challenger marketing world that we see and ask everyone to contribute to that. Share about challenger brands, marketing news, industry events, job opportunities, ask for feedback and input, use each other as a sounding board. We think it's going to be really great. So if you are interested in joining and are not already a member, please either reach out to me if you know me or go on over to our website, wearerival.com, and you can apply from there. This is free but we do want to make sure that we're adding people that are really interested and can really add value. That's it. On to the episode. Imagine, you know, most of your listeners will be, that it's, it's the landscape, I would say. It's a very, very different world for us to be operating as marketers than it was two years ago. So being as astute and diligent as possible and how you go to market and how you build campaigns and how you're frugal and using those finite resources is probably the biggest challenge that we've got this year. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains, rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. Hey everyone, my guest today is Matthew Webster, the VP of Global Consumer Marketing for Activision and Call of Duty. You've obviously heard of Activision, it's a collection of game studios behind some of the world's most successful video game franchises, including Call of Duty, of course, Crash Bandicoot, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. And unless you've been completely disconnected from the gaming world, you've probably heard that they just launched Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, breaking all previously held records for an opening weekend of a game generating over $800 million worldwide in the opening weekend. And Matt talks about and gives a couple other numbers to quantify just the sheer scale of Call of Duty gaming overall and the success of this launch campaign. Matt joins us fresh on the heels of this major milestone for the company and in the midst of his mission to take the brand and franchise to the next level. He is a wealth of experience in transforming challenger brands to giants of the industry through his global marketing strategies in over 50 plus markets and has won countless awards in the process. He has a career spanning over 15 years that has included marketing leadership roles at the likes of Twitch, Spotify, PlayStation, SoundCloud, and Ticketmaster. So much good stuff in here. I loved this conversation. Loved having Matt on. I think that's it. Please enjoy my conversation with Matt Webster. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. I know things are crazy in your world, which we will get into to the extent you're able to share, but I really appreciate you making the time. Pleasure's all mine, Eric. Thanks uh, for the time. And yeah, great that we finally got us on the books. Yeah, we've been talking about it for so long. I mean, it's been, I think it's it's been a year because when I was in LA last summer, we started talking about it. And then obviously we started doing some work together. And, you know, I know stuff has just been well, you've been on fire and the business has been on fire. So um, in a good way, by the way, I mean like on fire in terms of crushing it. Um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. 
likewise. I think it all kicked off um, about a year or so ago. I didn't know when I was listening to this podcast and was so inspired by your eloquence related to marketing strategy. I, uh, I tapped you off. So yeah, we're long overdue. Thanks again. Appreciate that. All right. Well, let's get into it. So icebreaker question that we ask all guests, as you know, as a longtime listener, what is one challenger brand? Or I see you've jotted down a couple here in the show notes. What are a couple challenger brands that you're very passionate about right now and why? One challenger brand that I'm particularly passionate about at the moment is Athletic Brewing, the sparkling hot water company. You know, the uh, non-alcoholic beer industry has boomed over the last five years. I'm particularly passionate about it being an expectant father and being off alcohol for the last seven, eight months to support my wife. Uh, but what they're doing in the space, the growth that they've seen, the product positioning, the aesthetics of the can, the pricing is a perfect storm for me in terms of how they're showing up in the market. And I find them really impressive. You know, more broadly, I was thinking about historical challenger brands that have turned my head. And uh, I always go back to Duolingo. I think they're amazing at um, what they do. Um, good friends with uh, Manu Orso, who heads up the, the team over there. The way they had culture, the way they've differentiated themselves against the likes of Rosetta Stone um, and Babel historically, I think, immense, really smart the way they, they turn up on TikTok as well. It seems to be the case study across the whole industry of how you can come up in an authentic way as a brand. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then the other one that was just spinning around in my head as I was thinking about this was, uh, was Airbnb. I love everything they do from an org strategy approach, how they align with their teams towards um, multiple goals throughout the year. And just a high degree of art. I think if you look at the brand work that they put out and have done consistently over the years, there are a few brands globally that sort of meet that high bar on such a consistent basis. So there are a couple of the ones that are front of mind at the moment. I mean, hard question to answer. And then you throw out three great ones there and three, three very different ones, right? Because like Atlantic Brewing, I haven't heard of them, but you know, I'm not in the US, so I'm definitely going to go check them out. I think that that category, it's crazy to think about even five years ago, just how much that has changed. And having worked with Anheuser-Busch InBev as a client on the advertising side, just knowing how they were thinking about trying to understand how that category was being disrupted by all these challenger brands coming into it. I think that's a great one. Duolingo is still my favorite branded uh, TikTok account. Although I'll be honest, I haven't looked really at the rest of what they're doing. And so I do need to go check that out. And then Airbnb is great. We use it as an example all the time of like a classic, what we would call rival brands, a challenger that's actually succeeded in changing the category that they're in and in many ways becoming a new incumbent to other challengers in the space. But also they've been very public about how they're doing that. From a marketing standpoint, they published a case study of how they developed the new Belong Anywhere positioning. And, and a couple of things that you mentioned, I think that that is um, definitely something that I wanna check out and I would encourage other people to truly go studle, study how they've done what they've done. So I think those are all great answers. Absolutely. I mean, even beyond their role planning and creative approach, even look at their media, I think, you know, all industries um, across the board within marketing, I think, you know, race to the bottom with performance marketing five, 10 years ago. And they seem to be one of the first that have swung the pendulum that way and then gone very much in reverse in terms of brand building at their core, supplemented by performance as opposed to, you know, ROAS at every turn, which is also very forward thinking. So Matt, I know your role has shifted a little bit within Activision. I don't know how much you can share on that front, but obviously when we started working together, you were the vice president of global marketing. So when we wrote this brief together, that's what we wanted to focus on. And I think there's so much to unpack from your time at Activision. How long have you been at Activision now? I'm just, just over a year now. So I've relocated from London to LA yeah, last April. 
just over a year, but you know, I always like to say it's not about years of experience, it's experience, the years and knowing how much you've done in a year, not to mention everything else you've done in past roles. I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about some of these questions. So starting with, of course, Call of Duty, you know, it's the biggest video game franchise in the world. This challenge and opportunity of balancing scale and relevancy, I really want to get into how how you're able to do that. So Call of Duty is massive. You know, it's kind of an understatement, but where do you even start when you're talking about a product launch, like the one that you've done recently, and maybe you can explain a little bit, just give a kind of quick overview on what you did and the campaign that supported it. But, you know, when you when you got dropped in and we're like, great, here's what we need to go do. Where do you even start when you're talking about something that's that big? And how do you make sure that, you know, every successful brand, but particularly within gaming, there's such a community around that brand. How do you make sure that you're staying relevant while driving the scale that the business is actually looking for? Good question. I mean, as you can imagine, it's an incredibly tall task. Uh, you know, coming into this position initially, I was focusing on the live ops side of the business, which is that you know, repeated every 10 weeks or so seasonal updates that the, the live game will have and you're constantly pivoting and changing direction and refreshing with new content to excite the community, which has been an amazing journey. More recently, the focus has been on the premium launch title. So that'll probably be the, the uh, product that most your listeners will be most familiar with. That will be the annual big game release that you see every single uh, year, usually in Q4 related to the Modern Warfare or Black Ops franchise. And like you say, Call of Duty is massive. I think it's been a bit of a trope of the last five years or so to say that gaming is the biggest entertainment industry and it absolutely is. You know, it's always referenced that it's bigger than the music and film combined. But the sheer volume of Call of Duty within that space is is humbling to say the least coming into this role. So we're closing in on half a billion, which is insane. You know, we've got 125 million players plus that have been in the live services product, pushing on, you know, six fifty million mobile app downloads for CODM. So astronomical in terms of the scale that we're talking to here. And somewhat anxiety inducing coming into the role, as you can imagine. You know, looking at last year, we had the biggest year that we had in, in history. So we crossed, you know, the $1 billion sell-through mark within 10 days. And could contextualize that against other players in the space. That's more in the first weekend than Top Gun Maverick and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness combined. You know, the scale is, is out of this world. So to, to answer your question around how you even approach that, it's... It's very, very nuanced. I would say the learnings that I have from prior roles, you can't directly apply to launching a video game because there's such a playbook associated with that. Um, it's, it's so tried and tested and there are so many components that you need to be considering simultaneously that you can't just sort of slap in some of your learnings from prior tech or music companies that I've worked with. You're consistently reconciling previous strategies, I would say. So looking at everything that's happened over the past 20 years, what has worked, what hasn't. And just to you know, contextualize that beat by beat, that could be when you reveal the game, the name of the game, the art of the game, when you turn on pre-orders, the beta, when you galvanize the community at these different points and sort of amalgamating all those learnings whilst trying to apply best practice year after year, whether that's around creative development, media attribution, and so on, is something you're constantly finessing year in, year out. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest success we had last year was around community orientation we positioned this new frontier as call of duty 2.0 so we had a fantastic triple a blockbuster release in in the modern warfare game which is outstanding you know we're, we're launching simultaneously a mobile product that has 
uh, crossplay with that, um, which is launching shortly. You know, there's a new interface working within that, so it does feel like a new frontier for the franchise. And as we're coming into that and trying to exceed that year after year, which as you can imagine is challenging now, how do you follow that act this year? Uh, you're constantly taking this really well-defined, well-oiled, hopefully very player-centric playbook, and then just plussing it up with these these new iterative learnings that's within the marketing space currently, and that can be across all different channel mixes or all different uh, areas of the business. So it's, it's a big ask, but it's, it's an exciting one, as you can imagine. Be curious, I know this isn't a question that we aligned on ahead of time, but just, I mean, the scale, like I jotted down a couple of those notes, and I just had, you know, I'm not a gamer. Uh, as you know, when I've asked you know, about like, what is this acronym and what is that acronym? And I know Jenna and Dubose always cringe because they are in that world and understand it much better than I do. But every time people rattle off some of these stats about gaming, esports, et cetera, it just continues to blow my mind because maybe it's just me in my world, but like people don't talk about it. They kind of view it as something kind of, uh, you know, not as central to modern culture, media, entertainment, life as it actually is. And I just think it's so cool to be at what is very much in many ways, you know, the center of that with, with what you're doing. But I'd be curious, you know, you stepping into this role and you've been in high growth scale-ups, technology businesses in the past, but, you know, back to kind of uh, when I know I glossed over in, in my initial question, but how did you even, it must've been like drinking from a fire hose starting in that role. Like, where do you even start with something like this like you mentioned looking at what have been done in the past but of course you need to bring your own way of doing things but it's not the playbook that you've done before what was the process that you went through did you have like a hey the first 90 days i'm just going to listen did you kind of uh you know what did, what did what did you focus on in, in the early days to try to get up to speed on things yeah it's a great question um the first few months i think in prior roles as well and the same with this role will tend to come in all of that information and then there'll be some sort of pitch back to leadership in terms of these are the observations that i've made and this is how we're going to address some of those those opportunities that are presented so i went through that same process that i had done in prior positions i think the key thing to call of duty that i managed to get under the hood of was firstly you know the product itself and the community i've worked in gaming in prior roles so i was at twitch for a couple of years prior to this in a vp of global strategy role i went to playstation prior to that but actually, I think when you're working on publisher side for a specific title, understanding the nuance of that community comparative to broader gaming or, or broader live streaming is very, very different. So avidly following social channels, social commentary, seeing where the community is at and how you can address some of their frustrations or desires um, in the work that you're doing. I think having that as a backbone and understanding the product intrinsically is probably something that's applicable to any marketing role. Outside of that, you know, I think one of the main lenses that I applied coming from London and coming from regional or new market roles historically, this was the first time I'd been in a global position in a US hub, um, sort of r r running all markets concurrently. So being able to apply a regional or local centric mindset to global thinking in a franchise that historically has probably been quite US centric allowed us to sort of unlock ways that we can plus up regional thinking, cultural context uh local nuance and activation to be able to i guess take those big blockbuster beats that we do every year that are global in inverted commas um, and allow us to unlock some of those regional activations to show up in a more coherent way so i mean there's a lot there and there's so much in the background obviously in terms of understanding the existing playbook but i'll say those two things in particular were key areas that i focused initially and did you find that you know because you mentioned twitch your experience at spotify 
those are obviously at scale businesses and Twitch being part of Amazon is, you know, within, I guess, enterprise. But did you find that coming from these kind of challengers and going to an incumbent? Because oftentimes, particularly on the show, and it's in the name, you know, we talk about challenger brands versus incumbents as this kind of, um, you know, separate thing. But of course, there's some similarities, there's some differences. Did you find that there were a lot of differences coming from a quote unquote challenger to an incumbent, albeit in a different category? I think um, in the trials I've been in, I've been fairly fortunate in that actually there hasn't been um, a challenger you know, perspective quite as much in those trials because there have been you know, medium to large size companies that I worked in. Um, you know, when I was at Spotify, that was all related to new market launches. So you could argue in that instance there, you're going into new territories and you are a challenger to some degree, but you always had the backing of, you know, the biggest audio platform in the world. It's you know, one of the top brands to play with and revered by customers and artists alike because it's such an incredible product. So I would have been fairly fortunate in that regard. I would say the main difference between the, those roles and this role isn't necessarily the challenger of the incumbent piece. It's probably more just a... Uh, the operational rhythm of, of the organization. So if you take um, a, a typical publisher like Activision, and I imagine it's probably fairly similar on the film or entertainment side, um, there is that sort of best long-term planning to content production that's required. You think about Call of Duty game requires two, three years production um, that you need to work with, maximize on, finesse over time, compared to something like Picture or Spotify, which is based on product sprints. It will be a product update that you could be mapping out three, six, 12 months in advance. Um, so there's a different sort of cadence to the way that you go to market there. What I will say is I think with the the latter and, and those tech companies that I work for, the mantra that I sort of built up when I was at Twitch was related to this approach of speed, scale, and efficiency. How do you take you know this open space that we have here and how do you operationalize campaigns or community initiatives um, as quickly as possible and as, in, as an impactful as possible way so I'd said, as I'm working now with Activision, what I'm trying to do is think speed and go to market, being able to execute, learn, apply those learnings and iterate on them more in the way that perhaps a tech company might be thinking about those problems within marketing. And, and on that note, because um, one of the things I wanted to get your thoughts on is just the role of data within the job that you do and within the Activision marketing function overall, because of course, you know, creativity data is finding the balance between those two things. But what have you seen as the difference coming from, I don't know as much about Spotify, but I would imagine, and I know a lot about Amazon and how they function being so data driven, I would imagine being publisher side with gaming, a big part of it is creative led as well. But what does that look like in terms of how you use data to understand the community and the audience you're trying to reach? You know, I'm, I'm guessing it probably influences the product development process and how you need to market that from a product marketing standpoint as well. What does that look like if we can dig into the data side of your role right now a bit? Yes, of course. Um, and you get totally right with Twitch. You know, Amazon are playing to that so much for it. So in their interview processes, I think everyone gets a, a big grilling on their ability to wrangle data. So that's, that's always a fun one. Prior to that, you know, even since the days of uh, PlayStation, when I was there, you know, they're fairly data-centric in their decision-making when I was building out their digital marketing capabilities. And Spotify, I would say, is almost one of the, the poster childs, really, of, of using data um, to inform the work and actually to activate the work. When you think about Spotify Wrapped, you know, the biggest campaign that they have every single year, 
one of the most recognizable and loved campaigns in the world. There's so many ways of data infused within that. I mean, probably in defining the opportunity originally, I would say. The data points that are actually um, conveyed within the, the messaging itself. So X million people listen to this category, you should too. Or just even just being really data-led and hyper-targeted when you're looking at the media application of those. So finding a suburb in Mumbai that is particularly contextualized to a playlist and then hyper-targeting it there. They're very, very finessed and finite in, in the way that they, they use data in their marketing. Um, that's been consistent there, Twitch, and, and, and more recently. You know, the, the data that we're using at uh, Activision, I think it's implicit that probably with all the marketers you speak to, it permeates everything you do. You know, the the key areas, and I, I can speak within marketing specifically, less so on, on the product side, um, but it's multifaceted. So last year, I think we got in a really good place with our MMM modeling. So being able to ascertain, you know, when you're spending X amount of media on these certain channels, to what degree they push the needle on, on return on ad spend. So I think we're much better informed this year in terms of where to start our media plan. And then once we do launch, as we're getting closer to, to the game dropping, uh, we have the most optimized approach there. We have a very, very uh, stringent approach now to creative testing. So there is certainly a high art degree, I think, within Activision. You look back at the, some of the ads from the last 20 years, it's something really iconic. These blockbuster live actions with celebrities littered throughout and, and incredibly impactful. But we're certainly using you know current capabilities around how do you take territories, for instance, and be able to give greater confidence that you're landing in the right territory depending on the audience you're targeting. So that's something we're looking at. Um, and yeah, I, I guess throughout that, you know, we're digital first and in, in, we're, we're applying. Yes, we do have those big live action moments, but if you're looking across the globe and all those different touch points within marketing, and 95% plus of those are digitally orientated, like social, CRM or web. Um, so iteratively, week in, week out, month in, month out, we have forums whereby we're taking those learnings, applying them to other channels, to other regions to make sure that we're consistently informed and applying that on an ongoing basis. So long answer, but every single touch point that I think you can imagine. Um, and I would say that, you know, the final piece is less quant, more qual orientated. Activision has got amazing player insights um, team. Um, we're fascinated by the work they do there. And they're really quite esteemed. I think you had a chance to meet some of them actually, Eric. So great to get your perspective. Uh, but, uh, the work that they do, the, the deep interviews we have with the community that will then inform not just the upcoming game, but subsequent games multiple years out, um, just I think is a good credit to how at each turn we are trying to be as player-centric as possible. Yeah, it's interesting going back to what you said kind of at the beginning of that answer, that data permeates everything we all do. I think that's true in the sense that it is there, it permeates, but I think you'd be, you know, and I'd... Um, I think one of the benefits of being on the consulting side is you get to talk to so many different organizations, obviously the ones that we work with, but even beyond that, the conversations that you have and, and conversations like this as well, though with Scratch, I'm lucky enough to, you know, talk to some of the people who are really, really at the leading edge of the industry. But I would say, you know, it's, I'll put it in, I'll put a positive spin on it. I think there is a huge opportunity for the vast majority of marketers to be doing a lot more with data. So just because it's there, doesn't necessarily mean that they are taking full advantage of it. And so I think that if you are not in an organization that is like an Amazon, that is like a, the a Spotify, that is like, it sounds like an Activision, that is, you know, data-driven. And we always talk about finding this balance between being idea-led and data-driven, because of course it is both. It is the art and the science. But for most organizations, because it's more technical, maybe for a lot of people it's harder, it doesn't come as naturally. 
dialing up the data side and doing more there is where a lot of the opportunity lies. As a related question to that, because this came up recently on a punchy, uh, punchy episode and we were trying to answer this question or really, or Jenna was, but um, when it comes to marketing technology, there's, you know, a lot of it doesn't necessarily apply to data, but a lot of it does. And there's a lot of technology out there that can help companies stay on top of, make the most out of the customer data that they have, whether you're an Activision or whether you're in a startup. What are the ways that you've found to try to stay on top of all the change that's happening in the MarTech ecosystem, if you found any? Because I think even Jenna said, and the way she answered the question was, I don't, nobody really does. But I'd just be curious, you know, with how much, how much, ba- how much mental bandwidth, data, what can we do with data, how much that's taken up? I'd just be curious how you approach the MarTech side of things as well. Your point prior to that of you being able to speak to all these different leaders across industries is so, so interesting and almost like I, I would rather flip this conversation and start interviewing you on that perspective. You will often got a, a great view on, on some of these, these tough topics. Um, and, and I think you're right. Yeah. So maybe there is then a sort of take a granted in some instances because these big organizations have the capabilities to be able to use data in a, in a meaningful way. Um, so I take for granted that that's the case across the board and not always it. Um, to answer your question on how you I guess, reconcile all those data points and use MarTech, really challenging. And I, I think <laughs> we didn't have the cop-out answer as well in the sense that um, there is so many different touch points there that you should be trying to incorporate within your work. The new products emerging, new vendors and so on, that it's, it's almost impossible, I think, from my perspective, to, to have a clear view on that, unless you're a MarTech expert to have a clear perspective on what, you know, where the industry is going and how you can use the current best tools. Where I've, you know, leveraged that historically has been a MarTech dedicated team. So we had that at um, Twitch. And often there actually would be building a lot of those tools in-house to be able to use proprietary data and and have that ownership. Or more often than not, I think due to the speed at which most of the companies that I've worked with have been operating and the luxury of being larger scale and budgets and so on, it is often working with, people such as yourself, uh, trusted partners, agencies, vendors, experts within that space, and being as transparent as possible with the current challenges that you have, the opportunities, the learnings from prior years, and allowing those experts to help inform that work, rather than spending your time desperately trying to stay at the forefront of the industry. Because just the realities of that, whilst you're reconciling yeah. internal alignment, executive pressures, deadlines, and so on, and making the best work creatively, and, and then you go to market planning, um, it's, uh, it's an almost impossible feat. So I'm going to take the club out onto there. <laughs> Fair enough. I think that, um, but I think that's actually a helpful answer in a way because you, Jenna, you know, people who are, you know, really experts in this field, like there is no way to stay on top of all of it. And that's okay, but also doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. So I think in a way it's probably reassuring for some people listening but you still do need to find the way to make sure that you're out there listening, reading, talking, you know, you know, at, le- at least at least trying to keep some pulse, even though there's no way to stay on top of it. So, Matt, I want to focus in on for the rest of the time that we have this uh, Call of Duty launch from last year. So the most successful video game franchise launch ever. You gave a couple stats earlier that I jotted down because it's just insane. A billion dollars of revenue in just 10 days. So... Now what? Where do you go from here? And you alluded to it earlier. It's like, you know, success only begets success and the bar just continues to be raised. 
So, you know, what's, what's next? You have to do that for the next one, do now the next biggest and most successful video game launch ever. Where do you take things from here? Good question. <laughs> um, it just sums things up as stats as well. The other one that blows me away is the billion matches. I think in the first weekend, first week, it's just, yeah, it's almost incomprehensible to wrangle. Um, where do you go from here? I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. Uh, growing from that you know i sort of alluded to it previously that you know fortunately when you have got an amazing launch like that the process year to year iteratively um does become minor plus ups ultimately you can't i think you know coming into this role i was really really mindful not to try and rewrite the, the playbook there's a tendency isn't there when you go into you know a new position with a new company that you want to make your stamp as soon as possible and demonstrate the value you can add and all of your expertise and so on but I think here and in a couple of the prior roles that I've had, one of the biggest learnings has been to sit tight, adapt, absorb, build the, that trust and those relationships with key partners internally before you can really quite influence the work. And did that to a reasonable degree last year. So I would say, you know, the, the main things I think we're focusing about on, on this year is that, you know, consistently pushing boundaries on the higher degree of art. We've got amazing creative production partners. And actually, I will say, you know, works for some of the biggest brands in the world, but with regards to the fidelity of creative production, it's almost uh, un unparalleled, really, the work that Activision are doing, you know, deep within the, the game itself, within the product, capturing some of that content, being able to work with creative directors to manifest stories out of it in these amazing ways. We're consistently trying to push the boundaries there and even apply learnings from prior years of, you know, when do we see trailer on trailer reviews and where do we see engagement pop? to further inform that work um, to make it better and better year in, year out. The other piece is around regionalization that I think I've already touched on, but you know, one of the most exciting things I think I found from my Spotify days and that I've carried forward is how do you reconcile your budgets, your investment, your resources with your audience opportunity globally? So there is a tendency with, with some companies to, you know, you look at the investment plan you have for the year ahead, you'll tie that directly to historical revenue because you know that you know, 70% of our revenue comes from X market. Let's apply the same media investment there or marketing investment to sustain that over the time. The challenge with that is that naturally then you under-index on some of your growth markets or growth areas. And this could be on a global footprint or maybe even a local geo, for instance. Um, so with that thinking there, I think what we're trying to apply is modeling related to, okay, here's our focus, our investment, resources, OPEX, all of those things against those existing revenue drivers that we know where we're going to get sales through. We know where our community are. We know where we can celebrate them and so on, but also make sure that we're being really thoughtful with those new growth areas so that we're setting ourselves up for sustained growth in the years forward. So coming from the priorities that I've had there, a big part of our resource planning and long-term planning will be related to that regionalization. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I think I would, a couple of other things, actually, diversity, equity, inclusion, I think it's, a, you know, the topic probably in, in most of the calls that you, you have and will continue to be ever, ever important and prevalent historically. You know, I think within entertainment broadly, how can we find ways to better show diversification, not only in our content, but in the ways that we're showing up for different communities as well within gaming is something that is ever present, I think, on any entertainment industry panel that you go to currently. So that keeping that front of mind is certainly of extreme value. And, yeah, and finally, we have the benefit of being part of ABK, this you know enormous um, organization, Blizzard and King. So working closely with those other gaming groups and partners there with amazing franchises like World of Warcraft or Diablo or Overwatch, how can we work with partners there to understand what they're doing as well and better inform the work? So it's a long way of saying this playbook is so well-oiled, the game is so incredible, the community is enormous and very passionate, 
You just try and find that white space where you can iteratively improve that model year in, year out. And I think we're, we're on track to do that this year. So taking it down a level and taking it towards, you know, obviously there's so many challenges and I'm sure a lot of pressure that come with what you have to deliver for a franchise, a property that's as big as Call of Duty. But for a lot of the people listening that might not have that, you know, scale and that IP to build on top of with what they're doing, what are some of the takeaways or lessons, either good or bad, that you've learned from this launch that could be relevant to really any marketer out there? Great question. I think, you know, the, the main thing that's been front of mind, and this is probably consistent across multiple industries, is the player first, the audience first approach, which sounds a little bit cliched, but it's all too easy, I think, once you start to see success to start to pivot away from that core. And the best companies that I've worked for have been the ones that have retained that consistently throughout and never deviated. You know, Amazon's probably the most well-known case study of that, of creating the most user-friendly and cheapest user flow available at the time. So keeping that consistently throughout, I think, is is of utmost importance and that great centricity. Um, the other thing that I find quite fascinating as well, and it will depend on the different industries you're working in, is the multi-sided marketplace piece. And the, and the flywheel associated. So again, Amazon did that famously. I think at Twitch there, we had you know multifaceted community from streamers to stream managers to the viewers themselves to brands coming in then and sponsoring that space. So finding ways that you, know, you can retain that player centricity or audience centricity for other for other industries, but consistently try and galvanize those different stakeholders within that flywheel to be able to drive success. And I think when you have that perfect formula of all of those different stakeholders concurrently, that's when you see exponential growth and when you continue to see strides forward. I actually think that that's a great um, prompt for people to think about what's my flywheel? What is the flywheel of my business? Even if you're in a marketing, I just think it's an interesting thing to explore because we tend to think of flywheel, everybody associates with Amazon or e-commerce businesses or, you know, I really think that anybody just thinking about what is going to get, what is going to bring people value? And then how is that going to bring value to the business in a cyclical way, in a way that kind of builds on top of, of each other, of the components? I think that's actually a really interesting um, insight and takeaway. Yeah, totally right. I think the one that I found really fascinating when I was at Twitch was, you know, this is multi-sided marketplace. Again, creators at the core and the viewers simultaneously. We were launching EMEA and then a few months later, we launched APAC there. It took very, very different approaches there as to being viewer-centric in our marketing and our go-to-market planning in EMEA um, and create-centric in APAC. And all that being said, in varying degrees of success across the board, but it does sort of show a case study there whereby you can almost play off, but prioritize and focus on these different stakeholders at different times and understand at which point within your business growth you should be indexing on the supply and the demand within that business. All right, Matt, are you good for a quick lightning round before I let you go? You uh, threw this at me in the last minute, but let's let's try it. I did. I totally did, and I appreciate you being up for it. All right. What is one of the biggest wins that you've had recently? I would say the one I'm most excited about is we've talked to the scale of, of the, the games that we're working with at the moment. Um, they're very close to working out the visual identity for probably the biggest game in, in the world this year. We've learned that in recent weeks through detail painstaking alignment and uh, creative finessing we're in a wonderful place so that'd be a recent win all right the biggest struggle that you're dealing with right now great question i, th I imagine 
you know, most of your listeners will be. That it's it's the landscape. I would say it's a very very different world for us to be operating as marketeers than it was two years ago. So being as astute and diligent as possible and how you go to market and how you build campaigns and how you're frugal and using those finite resources is probably the biggest challenge that we've got this year. The best marketing resource that you've come across recently. <laughs> I can't believe you set me up for this, Eric, but I am an avid listener and I would say of the ones that most consistently I'm absorbing, contemporary marketing information would be your joyous podcast. So thank you to you and the team. I really appreciate that. Any others um, in it. for for people who are already listening? What's your, what's your second favorite? Do um been going through uh, me and the team actually we have a quarterly onsite and offsite um, that we do onsite to sort of break down barriers and build trust amongst each other, um, and then the onsite to sort of strategic plan and look to the future. Within that, we've each been bringing um, historical marketing textbooks. You know, I think a couple of weeks ago we did Patrick Lancioni, um and focusing on, on his yeah, work. Great. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Um, him in particular. Um, so I think within that forum, actually, and bringing sort of more academic text to marketing on a periodic basis, that's been really fun. Yeah, it's a great call. The biggest lesson that you've learned in your career so far? It's incredibly obvious one, but it's being genuine, authentic. Every single step of the way, I think I've seen so many pe people struggle with not being true to their perspective, whether it's talking about creative development, not being sincere with new colleagues or old colleagues alike. And the people that I think have prevailed most within industry are those that have consistently showed up in an authentic and positive way. Love that. And as you know, this one I did not spring on you because you know that we end every episode like this. What is one thing that people should do differently after listening to this conversation? <laughs> um, I didn't actually have a clear answer for this. So this is, this is off the bat, but, um, it's related to my last point there. I think one of the areas that I hold myself accountable for probably more than anything else is that reconciliation of opportunity with resources, you know, whether you're talking about a startup here with very, very finite amount of, of cash and equity to, you know, some of the biggest brands in the world and the, the geo expansion opportunities there being once you have the fundamentals in place, being dogged with applying your focus, your resources, your investment, where your head is at, where you're looking for the, to the to future growth, with that those audience opportunities and with the equity you have available, I would say that's probably my my biggest focus and the one thing that I would lobby for others to think about too. Such a good one, and again, you know, the way I think of it sometimes can come across as cliche, but you know, oftentimes there's a reason things are cliche. It's because they're true, but everybody wants to you know, a more shortcut answer, knowing what matters most, and then being able to consistently execute it on, execute on it to the full extent that you like, that, that really is so much of it, so much of everything, marketing, but you could also extrapolate that to other areas. So I think that is a fantastic place to leave it. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Been a fascinating conversation. And uh, I'm thinking that we need to we need to see who else is out there listening that we need to get on the show because maybe there's a lot a lot more value that we can be bringing to people by putting the mic on the other side. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. 
If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.